In mid-November at the PRX Podcast Garage in Boston, Dangerous Vision held a special live recording in front of an audience from the blind and visually impaired community. Randy's guest is Wick Grosbeck, owner of the Boston Celtics, chair of the board of Mass Ear, and father to a young man who is blind. This is part two of our two-part conversation. Please listen carefully. Hi, I'm Randy Cohen. I teach finance and entrepreneurship at Harvard Business School, and I sit on the board of the Massachusetts Association for the Blind and Visually Impaired. I have retinitis pigmentosa, a degenerative condition of the retina. Here on the Dangerous Vision Podcast, we get a chance to talk to people who have something interesting to say about visual impairments and blindness. In 1992, uh, my uh, wife, Corinne, wife at the time, Corinne, and I welcomed Campbell into the world. And Campbell had, I think, a very advanced, basically, version of retinitis pigmentosa called Labors. Uh, The three Bs, blindness. I want to raise a banner that says, we beat blindness. You can beat them different ways. You can enjoy them and find the the strength in them and the, the depth in them. Business and basketball. You know, being Paul, he was absolutely the heart and soul. But Kevin was a very special, and he was a very special thing. And so then, unfortunately, we traded Kevin away. You know, I, I say to people, I just said to this this poor class, and now I'm saying to this poor audience, uh, a little anecdote about banners. I got to raise a banner in 2008. Celtics, world champions. You know, what a thrill to raise that banner. I want to raise two more banners in my life. And I wouldn't mind raising banner 18 and 19 for the Celtics, but I really want to raise, given Campbell, given Mass Heinier, given all the people I've met, I want to raise a banner that says, we beat blindness. And I want to raise a banner that said, we beat deafness. Now, you can beat them different ways. You can enjoy them and find the, the, the strength in them and the, the depth in them uh, and all, or, and, or you can also find cures. And so I guess, candidly, that's I was thinking of the cures, but now I've, you've broadened my thinking tonight, Sassy. But I want those banners up in the rafters. And so that's the kind of principle that enables you to raise money. Thank you. Thank you. There's been a lot of people helping, and we're not even beginning to be done, obviously, but... Uh, it's been a good. Uh, it's been a good run over at Mass Hainier, and for good reason. Let's. Uh, so now I, I. I think I've waited long enough. I get to ask you uh, some basketball questions. All right. I wrote an article. So. So I. I don't know if. If. Uh, if all uh, the listeners know. So in my. In my copious free time, I uh, do sports writing about. Uh, about basketball, and so I write for. For there's a there's a fan site for uh, each team. The uh, the one for the Celtics has the imaginative name Celtics Blog. Um, the one for the Philadelphia 76ers has the more imaginative but nevertheless kind of terrible name uh, Liberty Ballers. Uh, Ballers. Uh, a pun on the Liberty Bell and the idea that people who play basketball well are known as ballers. Um, uh, I so very Philadelphia. Yeah, exactly, <laughs> exactly. And uh, so, so I write for Liberty Ballers, and uh, and uh, you won't find uh, anything there by uh, by Randolph Cohen or Randy Cohen because uh, I started before I started writing as a uh, paid sports writer, making air quotes as I say paid because the the pay is not high. Um, but nevertheless, I am a paid sports writer. Uh, but before that, I started writing 
just as 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 a fan. And uh, and so doing that, you generally you pick a username. And so uh, in a fit of inspiration, I chose the username uh, for the Philadelphia 76ers, uh, Blind Loyalty 76. And uh, and I still write under that name. So if anybody wants to look for my writing, which I totally recommend you do, it's uh, it's quite amusing in my own humble opinion. Uh, you will find it under the name Blind Loyalty 76. Sometimes I do a piece under the header arguing with myself, in which I will have a debate on a subject between Randy Cohen and Blind Loyalty 76. Uh, Blind Loyalty 76 usually wins those debates. Yeah. So, <laughs> um, you, know, so you could be, I could be a ref. Yeah, yeah. yeah I, would, I, would, I, would, I would appreciate that. That would be great. I'll give you that one. We should bring you in as a celebrity yeah. referee. Well, so I wrote a piece uh, last year called What is Brad Stevens' Superpower? Right? Because it's obvious that he's just an extraordinary uh, coach. And so, you know, kudos to you and, and uh, Danny Angel. Well, I think it's kudos who, to Brad. Who, who yeah. made it happen. Uh, uh, but to, to, to bring in, uh, to bring in uh, such a great coach. And, um, but I can't figure out what it is. I mean, you know, look at last night's game, right? I, I, look, I check the score. I see the Celtics are behind by two. I'm like, oh, okay, you know, I'll, I'll follow along. Maybe, maybe the Celtics will lose for once. And then they proceeded to score like 22 of the next 24 points scored in the game. It was like, it was like Brad's like, no, 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 now it's winning time. And then they just make it up. But I can't figure it out because if it's plays, don't we have videotape of all these plays? Can't the other coaches just copy them a day later? What the heck is he doing to be so effective? When I uh, try to hire coaches, which means I try to agree with Danny and Steve Paliuka and my other partners about the coach, you know, and all that. Uh, <coughs> excuse me. I, I want to try to think of coaches I've had, and I try to find people that I would instinctively follow and want them to uh, want their approval. Basically, in, is one way to put it. You you care what they think about you. Mm-hmm. You respect them enough, and you don't want them to be disappointed. And I think that's one way to view a coach is someone who knows what they're doing. So he's got all the X's and O's. He's brilliant. He knows the plays. He know. I mean, he's got you know he's got a way of. But he he takes every player, gets to know them as a person, builds a relationship with them, cares about them, clearly cares about them, and they care about him and what he they think. He thinks, and he says, look, guys, relax. Do what you do best. I'm going to put you in positions where you can succeed, and you do what you do best. You don't have to do what you do terribly. We've got other people who can do that. You know, if you're not shooting threes, you know, well, don't worry about it. We'll have someone else shoot the threes, or, or if you, well, in this day and age, or you'll be cut is actually what will happen. <laughs> but, uh, but don't worry about it. You know, you can be, you know, you can go work somewhere else. But, um, but the point is that, but he does all of that in a way that you just don't want him to say, oh, no, I mean, I'm disappointed in you. And, you, know, you just care. And there's some people you care more than others. And so, you know, I would follow Doc Rivers, you know, into fire. Mm-hmm. Uh, I'd follow, follow Brad Stevens in the fight. Brad is a genius, man. Uh, sometimes he draws stuff up and I look at him like, smart. Back out Horford, wide open three. The spotlight is on head coach Brad Stevens. He's being called a mastermind, a magician. Labels, he finds awkward. Silly. You know, the phrase is uncomfortable and it's just something that these guys should be getting it all. The secret sauce to all of this? Buy-in. Buy-in from veterans and rookies alike. I think they see early on who Brad is, and they hear from guys who have been here for a couple of years what it's like to play for him, and they buy in. Whatever it is about Brad, you look at his record here, six years, six years plus, he has coached more guys to career years. Yeah. Than anybody else, so it's not just—it's not just really—it's his X and O's, but it's his—it's his ability to get those players, you know, in the positions where they can succeed, and then that they wanted. You know, work like maniacs to succeed. I mean, it's the, our our practice facility was full all summer long with 
half to two thirds of our team every single day when they're on, supposedly on vacation, mm-hmm. they're in there working just to get ready for Brad's training camp. I, I, you know, it's actually, this is a good opportunity since, you know, this is going to be uh, on, on iTunes and, and Stitcher and so forth for anybody to listen to. If there are any NBA general managers out there listening, don't trade with the Celtics. Those guys won't be good for you. Okay. <laughs> They're just, yes, they put, yes, they put up these amazing years for Brad. It doesn't mean that your coach can get them to do those same things. Um, you're, it's an, it's an illusion. Okay. Uh, you, you know, it's funny. Well, it's interesting because the Sixers got a very prominent player of ours uh, this summer. So we'll see if that comes yeah. true. And Al's a great That's guy a, and a great well, player. Al, so, and Al, he's Al doing is, really well this Al year. Al is so a wonderful we, player. We, and we he wish was Al the best. Even before, yeah. uh, even before right. uh, Brad Stevens got yes. a hold of him. And, and, but you know, your story reminds Reminds me of my all-time favorite uh, sports story, which is not about uh, Brad, but it's a, it's a, but it's about uh, a, a friend of mine once said that, that uh, Boston uh, has uh, has two genius coaches: a, a good genius in Brad Stevens and an evil genius in Bill Belichick. Uh, I'm sure others would disagree with that. Oh, come on, he's an evil genius. I mean, you know, you got to give he's the guy. He's a his really story. good guy if you get to know <laughs> I'm sure, him. He's a very, oh, I'm sure, I'm sure he's a wonderful guy. person yeah. as a regular person. I just mean, you know, as as a person to have to compete against. Anyway, so so here's the story. So uh, Tony Gonzalez, the great uh, Hall of Fame uh, tight end, played most his career with Kansas City tells tells this story. He was in the uh, the Pro Bowl, which those of you who are sports fans will know, you know, is um, generally the, you know the least interesting of the All Star games of the sports. It takes place after the season's over, and football's such a violent sport, and so you know you have these guys who don't want to injure themselves in an exhibition, and uh, so whatever. So so uh, what happens is that the the team scores, and then you kick off. And the problem is in a regular football game, uh, the the kickoff coverage team are guys who are not your main starting players, but in the Pro Bowl, it's the all-star game. All the players are stars. So you have to send these stars out to do this sort of ugly, dangerous duty of covering the kickoff. So um, so the AFC scores, Bill Belichick's the coach, and he sends out uh, Gonzalez to go cover the kickoff. And, and you know, uh, 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 you know, basically, Gonzalez uh, uh, doesn't, you know, he sort of waves at the guy. I guess he actually has to block on the kickoff, so I guess the other guy scored. And, uh, and he doesn't really make much effort on the block because it just wouldn't make sense to do so. And comes back to the sideline and Belichick screams at him for five minutes. You such and such, you, you know, you just let that guy run by you, blah, blah, blah. Right? So then a few minutes later, there's another score and he sends Gonzalez out to, um, uh, to, to do it again. And this time Gonzalez just crushes his guy because of course the guy's not expecting anything because it's an exhibition, right? But Gonzalez just destroys him and he walks back to the sideline and then Belichick walks past him just walks past him, doesn't say a word, looking straight ahead, walks five yards past him, and then turns around and says, nice block. And the journalist, who was doing his job properly, says to Gonzalez, and how did that make you feel? And Gonzalez said, it made me feel really good. And the journalist kind of looked at him like, really? Like, you, you felt that? And, and, and Gonzalez says, hey, I'm coachable. Yeah. Right? <laughs> yeah. Well, that's, that's exactly it. And, and Brad has that way. You really care what Brad says. You know that he would give anything to, you know, for Celtic pride, you know, for another banner. Um, you know, he came to Boston. He chose Boston because he knows that winning here is different than winning anywhere, anywhere else. He's had, he had had other NBA offers before he came to us. He turned them down, but he, but he, he came to us. And so he wants to, he, he, he's all in on a championship and, uh, and he demands that everybody has that. He's got a very, you know, sort of like Mayor Pete, you know, very, you know, sort of calm demeanor, but boy, he's steel inside, uh, just like I think Mayor Pete is. And, um, uh, and uh, it's no joke with Brad. He's, he's the real deal. So, um, you know, 
every NBA fan is dying to ask somebody on the inside of the NBA about uh, refereeing questions. And I don't mean to say, look, the referees are obviously doing their absolute best out there, but everybody wonders. It's kind like, of a little depressing. What's up with the superstars? Like, That's doesn't it seem like certain superstars are just allowed to take five steps and things like that? And is it possible that the league sort of says, you know, wink, wink, yeah, we want these superstar, you know, everybody will be happier if we let certain guys get away with certain things and so forth. Like, are there owners meetings where everybody stands around and says, you know, not, you know, not to name names, James Harden, but the, uh, but you know, where, where people it's are like- It's not a travel, apparently. Uh, the, <laughs> I mean, the, what do you think when you're watching it? Do you right. think they're letting those guys travel? Or do you think this is the, the, the these were these are properly caught? Or do you think, yeah, we're letting travel, but we all the, the, it's better for the fans and better for the league if we if we let people get away with that. Well, I can't make I'm not going to publicly disparage the refs, <laughs> this except other than no, 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 no yeah, 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 yeah. Come on. <laughs> I just want to say hi to the commissioner. Hi, Adam. <laughs> <laughs> Thanks for hanging in there. It's been about half an hour. Thank you. Um, <laughs> Uh, so I, I will say this, that we have a process at the league and I'm part of the committee that reviews it and it is exhaustive. Every play and every non-call, every call and non-call. So <laughs> how do you identify a non-call? Well, the whistle didn't blow. It's like being non-blind, as you said. Um, and, uh, uh, so, but every meaningful play in the, in the game is taped and reviewed after the fact by trained, you know, referees and, Everybody's ready, so literally every aspect of the game is graded after the game. And who knows, for all I know, the grades are at 33%, but I actually think they're over 90%. Yeah. But that still means that you know, when there, if there are 10 calls or non-calls in any given minute, there's a mistake every minute. You know, so yeah. it, it may be 95%. It's a very high rate, but no, nobody thinks it's perfect. But we try as hard as we possibly can, and the refs do try. I do feel that there's pressure. You know, I think it's a little easier whistle sometimes when, you know, the, the, it's a 20-point lead, you know, that they, you know, who knows? I don't want to get into it. But um, <laughs> I will say that it's not, it's not uh, done intentionally. I think they're trying hard. And I know that we actually have an entire three-layered system of looking every call three times and then giving the refs feedback and then churning out two or three refs a year who didn't make the cut and bringing new ones in. And so it, I don't know how we could do it anymore and it's a hard game to referee. The, um, you know, it, so I appreciate what they do, and I consider yeah. them all personal friends. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> we will do have a game tomorrow night. Wick loves the referees. <laughs> Any referees listen? And, 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 you know, since we know it's not inconceivable that referees would be listening to a podcast for the blind, I'm just saying. So. Well, it's a, it's, it, would go, it would go perfectly. <laughs> so, so, um, uh, so, you know, as a fan, look, I'm, I'm just a huge fan. I, li I listen to the games. I By the way, it's funny because sometimes people will say to me, well, I don't understand. How can you be a fan? You can't see the games. Now, look, I, uh, you know, did, I was able to see when I was younger. I've played lots of basketball in my life. I never, even when I could you see, You were I able to play. see, but you got over it. I, I didn't say, yeah, exactly. <laughs> <laughs> I, even when I could see, I didn't play well, but I loved the game and I had good games sometimes and, and it was a blast and, uh, and I watched tons of basketball. Uh, now I can't uh, see the games at all and I listen on radio. 
Uh, shout out to all the great uh, radio announcers and the work they do painting a picture uh, for me and anybody else who either is driving or can't see or can't, doesn't have access to a TV at the moment. Uh, it, it makes a huge difference in our lives. Um, and there are people who sort of say, well, like, I don't understand. Like, how can you even follow the sport without, which I think is very funny, right? Because, you know, you go back to when Babe Ruth played, like most fans never, they got to see maybe two professional baseball games in their lives, right? You're living on a farm in Iowa. How often are you going to get to a Cardinals game? They listened on the radio. There was no TV. They listened on the radio and they read the box scores, which is, which is what I do. Um, but, um, and so as a fan, you know, there's this great uh, joke, uh, old joke by Jerry Seinfeld, where he says, you know, you're rooting for the laundry, right? You know, like you pick, you pick your team and it's the uniform. And look, there's a lot of truth there. If the Sixers traded all their players to the Lakers for the Lakers players, you know, I'd root for those Lakers guys, right? All those guys that I dislike now, I'd be like, yeah, there are guys all of a sudden, right? Um, but what well, helps make it, is that not let's true? Come back, let's come back <laughs> to that point. You wouldn't, you wouldn't no, go yeah, I don't want to interrupt you. Well, okay, well, I no, will no, interrupt you. you. It's, it's kind of fun to interrupt you, actually. You, 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 um, yeah, yeah, I interrupt you. You should do it to me. I understand the concept of, I mean, it's a Boston team. I'm going to root oh, for it. It's a Philly team. I just as much now that he's a Sixer? No, I don't. <laughs> no, but I don't. don't root against him. I love the guy. He's yeah. a terrific guy and his family. But um, I will say this. It's better when, it's too dismissive to say you just root for the laundry. It's better when you get to know the players and they give everything for the Celtic ideal and you're giving everything for it. And so it's far more than it's laundry. It's a way of life. And when you get to know Pierce, Garnett, Allen, Rondo, and Perkins, and I can still see them today and bump into them. We just sent them all uh, a little, so we have a tequila company, Sincoro, and we just sent them bottles uh, engraved with their names and numbers because we knew they were at a dinner. I mean, the friendship, I just sat with Paul Pierce the other day, saw Perkins uh, a month ago. Just it, it lasts for a lifetime, so it's it's far more than laundry. I just think oh. it's too it's a it's a it's a quip, but it actually diminishes the connection that fans feel with players. And what we spend all the time doing is helping the fans get to know Taco Fall, but also Tremont Waters, who's just a two way he's a two way player, not just a two way player, but he's a two way player. He's the other guy that's going up back and forth to Maine and Boston. You know, in the car with Taco. Um, but Tremont's an amazing guy. And then Carson Edwards came in, and then uh, Grant Williams, and then you get up to Romeo Langford. I mean, the new kids on the team, and then uh, Kemba Walker is truly an exceptional human being. But getting to know Kemba, you know, I, I am sh quite sure I will, I will hope Kemba's with us the whole rest of his career, but I mean, if he ever moved on for some reason, I would still root for Kemba. He is that special. So, well, so that's I, how I, I feel. I, I, no, no, I'm super glad you made that interruption because yeah. it's exactly where I wanted to go with this, okay. which is you've had the great good fortune to get to know these players and really appreciate them as human beings. And so, of course, it makes it so easy to root for them and to really, even when looking back on 2008, to like have warm feelings even beyond what a normal fan. And I wondered if you might share with us that you gave a, a great big picture there, so that was fantastic. That answered part of my question. The second part was, you know, literally there are individual anecdotes that every once in a while I'll come across about a player I've rooted for that's really just made me so happy to think about yeah. who's really funny, you know, who right. as who even, even compared to others are exceptionally kind or or specific stories. So anything you want to share about any of the players or or other, you know, anyone associated with the Celtics, but especially the players, because we as fans, we get such a, um, you know, kind of through a glass darkly view of these guys. We don't really get uh, the, the interactions you have. So anything you want to share with us to let us know, uh, we'll make a, sure. us well, I'll tell a that I'll much more. Tell a Kevin Garnett story and then a Taco Fall story. How about that? Right. So we'll two big men, uh, you know, bookending the last 10 or 12 years. Coming up on Dangerous Vision. And he announced to everybody in the first practice that we were going to win the blanking title that year, and anybody that didn't like it could leave right then. 
stories from players and stories from family. He goes, but you know, I, I really think that blind people usually know more than sighted people. And I thought for Campbell to say that, and, and it wasn't in any way a hostile act, it's Campbell's on Campbell's journey of self-fulfillment and self-actualization. Uh, but first, Life as a Blind Person by Executive Director of the Massachusetts Association for the Blind and Visually Impaired, Sassy Outwater-Wright. The motto for 2020 is going to be every China shop needs a bull. When I think of the blindness field and the hopes that I have for dealing with blindness in 2020, I think of picking the old systems that we've used for 100 years up off the shelf, dusting them off, breaking them a little, or seeing how we can reinvent them, making room for more people to be included in how we think of blindness, and how we include the able-bodied community in our discussions of these things, how we offer leadership and how we guide ourselves through the coming years. Things have to change. There are so many people that are getting left out on the edges. Adults who are aging into blindness need more space within our community, um, need more support within our community. Our students, our young adults and children need more support, need more instruction earlier on, need to enter college or the workforce, better prepared technologically, a braille literacy needs to go up. All of these things need urgent attention. There's not enough money, resources, or personnel to go around. So what can we do with what we have? What can we do with the stuff that's been sitting on the shelf in this China shop for so long? How do we pick it up, change it, and make it work for the community that we have in 2020? For life as a blind person, I'm Sassy Outwater-Wright. Tell a Kevin Garnett story and then a Taco Fall story. How about that? Right. So well, two big men, uh, you know, bookending the last 10 or 12 years. And so uh, when we were, we had our team in, you know, 06, 07, we had some losses. We were waiting for Kevin to come up from his contract at Danny's suggestion. Danny's brilliant. He thought three years ahead about trying to trade for Kevin. Uh, and we all signed up and said, okay, we'll wait and we'll, we'll build up young assets and everything. And maybe Minnesota will agree to trade because the different life cycle in the relationship with Kevin and how many years he'd been there and whether they needed to reload in a sense. And it seemed like it was our time. And so we were able to trade for Kevin and get Ray to come in to be with Paul. And so Paul is a, an amazing player. He won, he ended up winning the finals MVP. He's maybe one of the top 100 players of all time. Ray's one of the top two shooters of all time. Uh, so we had those two guys, but here comes Kevin. And he walked through the door, except he delayed his entrance to the first press conference by about 30 minutes. And we're all waiting. And he's in the arena. It was at the garden. He's in the arena with Jeff Twist, our very senior and revered uh, media uh, director, who's been with the team since the Larry Bird days. And Jeff was going through each banner with Kevin, all 16 of them, because Kevin wanted to know Tell me about that team. Tell me about that time, the 57 team. Oh, that's Russell, Casey Jones, and, uh, you know, and uh, Heinsohn. And so, and on and on. No, that's, and Kuzi, and then there's Havlicek, and there's Cowens, and there's Jojo White. And uh, he wanted to go through it all. So it took him 20, 30 minutes to sink himself deeply into the Celtic ethos before he even came and was introduced as a Celtic. That's Kevin Garnett. Mm -hmm. Kevin has some sort of nuclear reactor in there. I never saw him... I was on overnight plane flights, lengthy bus rides, never saw him sleep, never heard him stop talking. 
And it would be during the game, and it was a streak of blue language, whatever the word is, you know, constantly throughout the game, and the refs just let it go because that's Kevin. Uh, nobody else is allowed to do that. They get technical fouls. Kevin was allowed to do it nonstop. That's also Kevin. So now you're learning a lot about Kevin. He just did. This is great. Kevin was listed at, Kevin was listed at I think, 6'11". He's actually 7'1", I think. He just didn't want to be a seven-footer. He wanted, he didn't want people to say how the weather up there or whatever. And I think it gets worse when you're seven feet, maybe. Um, so we all respected that, and he was 6'11". Um, but uh, after a game, we go into the locker room, and uh, you, then you go to the bus, then you go to the airplane, and then you fly until three in the morning somewhere. And so you, the locker room, he'd be talking, and then he'd, on the bus, he'd gather everybody, the rookies particularly, back in the back of the bus and berate them about various topics. And then... It would get a little louder as the bus got closer to the plane. Then we get in the plane, and there might be a card game, or there might just be more discussion, but it would be Kevin talking again. And it would go on and on and on, like this story is going on and on, <laughs> except multiply this into like three hours, four hours. And we'd sometimes land at Hanscom, because we're home, it's three in the morning, and he'd make everybody wait because he wasn't quite finished with his the point. Story. <laughs> So, and he announced to everybody in the first practice that we were going to win the blanking title that year, and anybody that didn't like it could leave right then. So he took the entire team over. He said, and, and we're going to do it, and I'm going to lead us there. We're all going to do it. We're going to listen to what Coach Rivers says and uh, any questions. And, and he was absolutely the heart and soul of, you know, Paul was the heart and soul of, you know, being Paul, uh, Ray was the best shooter anyone had ever seen. Kevin brought it, Rondo, Perk, there were so many people contributed to it. Doc coaching it, Danny putting the team together, but Kevin was a very special, and he's a very special thing. Oh, D. Will, dizzy. Oh, no! Kevin Garnett! Just making it happen. Darren Williams, Garnett, running the floor after the rebound. And so then, unfortunately, we traded Kevin Way when he was starting to get, you know, we just traded for all these draft picks and tried to reload. And it was a tough decision, but it was one that I had to make, we had to make. And um, we felt, and the next season, Kevin comes back with the Nets. And the lights go down. He's being, uh, they're getting ready for the anthem. And uh, I'm standing under the basket where I sit and uh, I feel these giant arms around me <laughs> in a bear hug from behind. And I'm like, are you kidding me? And I look up and it's Kevin Garnett. I, I'm getting goosebumps right now remembering it. And, and you know, and we, we were not physically demonstrative like that, but I get this hug and he just goes like something like, you know, love you, man, or miss you, man, or something. But I've just traded him away a few months before. And here he's back in, in cover of darkness coming over and just surprising me with like a, you know, reconnection and a thank you in a way, or a, you know, not a thank you, but a shared, a shared experience that we will always have for the rest of our lives. So you've just learned a lot about Kevin Garnett, one of the most special people I've ever met. Awesome. Awesome. Here's to you, Kevin. <laughs> so I like to finish up with Two questions for people. I ask them uh, for a book recommendation. Um, you know, I couldn't read books for uh, many years because of not being able to see, and books on tape were too slow. You totally now, wrote me this email, and I've totally panicked now because I forgot to. Uh, uh, okay. No, I won't. So, but <laughs> no, I'll give is, you one. It can be anything. It doesn't have to be something you know deep or life changing. Really, just like 
a, a book that you would like when you finish reading it, you're like, boy, I can't wait to read that book again. It's so much fun. Or a book you read recently that you loved or really anything. If, yeah. And it doesn't even have to be a book. I literally read about three books at once. And so that's why me being stumped and flummoxed is so lame because I like, if I go on a two day trip, I'm going to bring three books with yeah. me. Um, I love re relaxing. The first book that came to mind at all, and it's the dumbest uh, you know, recommendation ever, but is uh, Agatha Christie's first book, The Murder of Roger Ackroyd. It's just yeah. a very well-plotted, fabulous, uh, unexpected um, book. And I, you know, you know that's gotta... funny because when, when, I was, when I was in high school and college, I read every Agatha Christie book. And I had a book that was called like the Agatha Christie list book or something. Right, and it right. just like had all the books and I would check them off and I read them all. There were like 120 of them. She's like yeah. the best selling author of all time. I love them. And I ha haven't actually returned them. I, I've gone back to some of like the, you know, science fiction and other kinds of books I read when I was young, but I should absolutely go yeah. back and read yeah. the, the murder of Roger Ackerman. I, I read things like, I, I, I don't want to belabor the topic, but I do read a lot of nonfiction. And I think, mm -hmm. um, I think, uh, uh, the, um, Den of Thieves. I go back and read that because it's how Wall Street goes bad. There's a lot of these themes in society today and about how people make money and, and uh, got there and what they did. And, you know, Den of Thieves is a cautionary tale. So well written. You can't put it down. I, in my experience, anyway, I can't put it down. I've read it multiple times. But it's a cautionary tale about how, um, you know, unfettered capitalism is not okay. You have to have rules and regulations or it'll go bad. Sure. I just read. Very well uh, I just read Bad Blood, which I'm sure. Oh, like great book, read yeah. the, the, About the Theranos thing, and, and uh, you know, is that her real voice, or is it is that her real voice, or it was an affectation? I, 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 That's I, what they I, say. I do not. Yeah, I, yeah. I certainly can't see that. It's it, it, it's yeah. fascinating. Just a fascinating tale. Of course, still not over. We still don't. Well, know. it sounds like, but we don't know, and we don't know. But it sounds like. I mean, the allegations are that she had a dream. And uh, and then when it started to go bad, she just refused to admit that. And then it and she kind of felt like she was stuck in the story. Yeah, yeah, I don't great. know. Well, so last question, and then if David thinks there's time for audience questions, we'll take a few. If not, uh, you know, if, if we're out of time, then we'll wrap up. Or if the audience question. doesn't want to ask any questions. Yeah, exactly. Uh, my, uh, Quite understandable. But, the, but I always like to finish with the question. You know, look, I'm a professor. I don't know how to interview people. Obviously, I talk way more than I'm, the interviewer is supposed to talk. But I just got to be me. And so I always, but I at least recognize. I feel like the 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 best thing is to not have flaws. But the the that's very difficult. So the second best thing is to recognize your flaws and address them. And so since I know I'm a lousy interviewer, what I like to do is say to people at the end, um, what's the story I would have gotten you to tell if I were a good interviewer? Is there one story <laughs> that you want to share with us that like is like, you know, just like an amazing story? It could be about it could be about you, it could be about your family, you know, your son, it could be about uh, the Celtics, it could be about Messineer. Anything where if you've got to knock them dead at the cocktail party, you're like, no, people are going to no. this they're, they're bored stiff at the cocktail party with me. But <laughs> no, there's lots I'd love to talk about. I'd love to talk about uh, being a rock drummer and uh, this year opening for Flo Rida and then in another show closing, closing, going on after Lenny Kravitz for 1,200 people. Uh, but I'm not going to tell that story. Uh, that's different. But our band is French Lick Band, uh, named after Larry Bird's hometown. And uh, But French Lick, Boston's classic rock band. But uh, I guess I'd like to tell a, an anecdote from a, something my son Campbell said yesterday. So uh, we're driving up from New York and listening to music and talking. We talked for three, four straight hours. It was just so great. But uh, he said, Dad, you know, I don't um, actually don't know everything because, you know, I can't see. I don't always pick up everything that, um, that sighted people 
pick up, you know? I go, yeah, well, I get it. He goes, but you know, I, I really think that blind people usually know more than sighted people. And I thought for Campbell to say that, and, and it wasn't in any way a hostile act, it's Campbell's on Campbell's journey of self-fulfillment and self-actualization, uh, whatever the phrase is, confidence, and loving himself and being comfortable in the world, um, and coming to terms with the fact that he has a difference that not everybody has. Um, for him to say that is the best thing it could have hurt. <laughs> awesome. Thank you. Thank you all. Thanks, everybody. Thanks so much. Appreciate that. That was great. Thank you. That was fantastic. You've been listening to a live recording of the Dangerous Vision podcast at the PRX Podcast Garage. We leave you with music from French Lick with Wick Grosbeck on drums playing Brown Sugar. Oh, Brown Sugar.